This podcast is from the Rand Corporation, a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision making through research and analysis. For more Rand analysis, reports, and commentary on issues at the forefront of today's policy debate, visit www.rand.org. Good afternoon, and welcome to Rand's Congressional Monthly Briefing Series. We hold these briefings uh, every month on the second Monday of the month to focus on the diversity of RAND's work in international defense and domestic work. Today's briefing focuses on the economic cost of methamphetamine in the United States. It's by Dr. Rosalie Pakula, she's, who's a senior economist at RAND. I'd like to also thank the Congressional Caucus to Fight con and Control Methamphetamine for their partnership in sponsoring this briefing today. Uh, the briefing is part of a body of work by the RAND Drug Policy Research Center, where Dr. Pakula is the co-director. The center is celebrating its 20th anniversary of vigorous commitment toward creating a firm empirical foundation upon which to, to make sound drug policies. Dr. Pakula is also a faculty research fellow at the National Bureau of Economic Research. Her research has focused on a number of different aspects that evaluate state and local policies aimed at diminishing substance abuse among youth. Today's briefing is being recorded. A video will be available online at www.rand.org tomorrow, or you can listen to today's discussion by subscribing to Rand's Congressional Briefing Series podcast on iTunes. Dr. Pakula. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you very much for joining us this afternoon. Um, I'm very excited to be talking about this research today, which was funded by the Meth Project Foundation as well as the National Institute of Drug Abuse. And with me today are a couple of my co-authors, Nancy Nicosia and Bo Kilmer, who will also be available to help ask, answer any questions that you might have at the end of this briefing. Um, I'd like to give you a little roadmap of the discussion that we're going to be having today. We'll begin with a discussion of why this is important to get an estimate of the economic cost, why it's relevant and how it might be useful in motivating uh, congressional activity related to the meth problem. I'll then give a brief discussion of our, our estimate of the cost and put it in perspective vis-a-vis -vis other uh, issues that are relevant to con Congress. And then finally, I'll give you a breakdown of the cost components, identifying what the key drivers are for this study. As many of you might already know, methamphetamine is a highly addictive stimulant that affects the, nervous, uh, the central nervous system. And as such, it has a number of health problems. Um, such as cardioarrhythmia, a possibility of strokes, seizures and convulsions, psychoses. Uh, Long-term use and abuse has been also been associated with things such as anxiety, depression when uh, going off uh, the drug. So there's a number of reasons why we should be concerned from a public health perspective about use of this drug. Yet in the policy realm, there's a number of conflicting indicators as anybody who's been involved in trying to pass con uh, congressional laws related to this know. On the national scale, national indicators of the problem don't suggest that methamphetamine is all that significant of a problem. If we look at our national survey on drug use or health, annual prevalence in the household survey is relatively low, less than 1%. And if we look at um, high school seniors from honoring the future, it also indicates that it's a relatively small problem, 1.5% annual prevalence. Vis-a-vis -vis use of other drugs, such as prescri prescription drug abuse, um, cocaine, or marijuana, which is used in a much greater fashion. But if you look at information from specific regions of our, of our country, you hear a much different story. 
particularly in the West, where this has been a problem for well over a decade, but it's moving east. Here, I will show you just some indicators to give you a sense of the problem in other parts of the country. It's a map of treatment episodes per 100,000 persons in the population 12 or older. And as you can see, the number of episodes of people being admitted to drug treatment for methamphetamine as the primary drug of abuse is substantially higher in the West. Oregon, Washington have rates of over 220 per 100,000. This is significant, this is pretty high. California, which has actually come down a bit because of the large heterogeneity in the state. If you look at Southern California alone and look at LA and San Diego, there are more admissions to treatment where methamphetamine is the primary drug of use than alcohol. It is that significant a problem. In Hawaii, parts of Arizona, similar indication that it is the most prominent drug of abuse of people entering treatment um, of any other illicit substance. This gives an indicator of law enforcement's perspective on the problem, which again highlights the fact that there's considerable variation across the country in terms of the magnitude of the problem. Six out of the nine regions list of law enforcement agencies list methamphetamine as the first or second primary drug or substance of abuse that they have to contend with. This is different than what those national statistics suggest in terms of the problem. This regional data suggests that this is a very significant problem in certain parts of our country. And as this, as this graph indicates, it's moving. So with that in mind, why do we need a number of the, why do we need an estimate of the total burden of methamphetamine use. Well, as many of you in this room know, it's only with information on the cost of the problem that you have a tool for going in and saying how important is methamphetamine vis-a-vis -vis other problems that our country is having to deal with. How do we allocate resources? It's often based on how important is this problem. If you have a bigger number, it looks like a bigger problem. But it's also important to know where that number comes from and what drives that number. Is it driven by individuals who are incurring the cost themselves, in which case there's a question of whether or not the government has a right to become involved, or is it that they're imposing costs on others? And an exercise such as this helps to lay the groundwork and provide the information in which to base those sort of decisions. It's also important an important starting point for doing cost benefit and cost effectiveness analysis. In order to understand whether or not a policy is a good idea, you want to know, because most policies cost money to implement, are the gains from that policy going to be greater than the policy its costs itself? The only way you can do it is to understand what are the gains. And to understand that, you need to know what are the implications if there is no policy? And again, this study starts to lay the foundation for that. It doesn't provide that analysis itself, but it lays the foundation. Congress is keenly aware that methamphetamine is a problem in certain areas, as indicated by the level of act uh, congressional activity on this problem. In, starting in 1988 and through the 1990s, there was a series of bills, but they were very incremental in nature, focusing on import-export controls, finally identifying the, ability, or the idea of regulating cold medications over-the-counter drugs, and then lowering trigger points so that people who are caught in possession or selling methamphetamine would receive higher penalties. It wasn't until the 2006 Combat Methamphetamine 
Epidemic Act that we that was part of the Patriot Act that we really got a comprehensive piece of legislation that tackled the problem from all the way from the wholesaler and the imports and exports down to the mom and pop shops who are buying the cold medicine over the counter because it was with this that we put it behind the counter you have to sign a registry and show government ID and that information is retained so this was a very important bill for a number of reasons it happened in 2006 our estimates that we're going to be showing you today of the economic cost of methamphetamine are for 2005. Therefore, they provide a nice baseline estimate of the cost prior to enactment of this legisl legislation. We would expect that if this legislation is effective at combating the meth problem, the use and the harmful consequences should be going down post this legislation. That would mean that the policy is working, and that's a good sign. This, this analysis doesn't speak to that. It just provides the estimate of before the law to make sure we have a useful baseline. So let me remind you again. Our estimate is for 2005, and the reason why we focus on information from this year is because this is the year for which we had the most uh, data sets available to estimate the problem. It is, we view it as a conservative estimate. In the case of methamphetamine, unlike alcohol, unlike cocaine and heroin, the data systems used to track the problem are still in the nascent stages. They're still being developed. Methamphetamine started as a rural drug, and many of our national data systems don't have very good representation in rural counties. And so a lot of the problems were not adequately captured early on. That's important when considering our estimate. Furthermore, the information related to meth and specific harms is still being understood. We know that there are certain harms that are clearly attributed to meth. For example, meth mouth, the dental problems that are associated with prolonged use of methamphetamine. We don't have a data system available in which to estimate those costs. It just doesn't exist. So for those reasons, too, our estimate should be considered as a conservative estimate. Our total estimate, our best estimate of this, is about $23.4 billion. This compares to a total estimate, the most recent estimate of all illicit drug use, of $143 billion. So relative to the total, it doesn't look that big, but it's important to put it in the proper perspective. Estimates of the cost of heroin alone, total cost of heroin, is $27 billion. So methamphetamine, the cost of, annual cost of methamphetamine, is on par to that of heroin. It's also interesting to compare it to other problems. The economic cost of domestic violence, for example, estimated by the CDC, is $5.8 billion, substantially lower. The economic costs associated with childhood obesity is $47 billion. It is, a little, it is approximately twice as big as our best estimate, but as you can see on this slide, we provide a range of estimates because of a number of assumptions we know that have to go into providing this estimate. So in all of our numbers, we have a lower bound estimate, which we believe represents the most conservative estimate because it takes and, and assumes away anytime there might be a relationship, we assume it's zero to get this number and only count the things we know definitively are due to meth. In the upper bound estimate, we say, hey, look, meth gets used with alcohol, it gets used with other substances. We really don't know if this consequence is due to meth, but for the sake of a completeness, let's assume that all of it's due to meth, just for tracking numbers, and that's where our biggest number comes from, in large case. Our best estimate is based on the science. What does the science say about the relationship? And when the science says the relationship is zero, that's all we know right now, we assume it's zero. When the science says it's greater than that, we assume whatever the science says, okay? The estimate that we construct 
captures the main categories of costs that have been captured in other estimates of costs of other, sub, of other substances as well as other problems. We have the cost of premature death associated with this use, productivity loss, criminal justice costs, health care, and drug treatment costs. But Matthew, Matthews is unique because of meth production. Meth production itself imposes enormous costs to society because of the environmental damage that that production can incur. The fires, the child endangerment because of children living in the homes where it's being cooked in the case of small labs. So we had to capture this, which makes it unique. We were also one of the first studies to attempt to capture the child welfare losses associated with substance use. Meth is not the only substance that imposes these costs, but prior studies were not able to estimate them, and we were the first to try to do so. What's truly unique about our study is our estimate of intangible costs. Intangible costs here capture the lost quality of life associated with being addicted to methamphetamine. And I'll describe, because this is such an important component of our costs, it represents total intangible costs and deaths, represent 70% of our total estimate. So this is really what's driving our big costs. And of that, intangible costs is a very important share of it. So it's important to know what this intangible cost represents. I'd like to walk you through this. Intangible cost represents the non-market-based, the personal quality of life loss, lost associated with being addicted. And it's a standard indicator associated with a number of health problems. We have estimates of lost quality of life associated with asthma, associated with diabetes, associated with cancer. Similarly, we can estimate lost quality of life associated with substance abuse. And in reviewing the literature, it looks like the range of lost quality of life, which is on a scale one of perfect health, zero of death. On a scale of zero and one, the lost quality of life from perfect health associated with being addicted ranges from 0.12 to 0.2. So quality adjusted life years would be a value of 0.8 in this case if we assume 0.2. This difference, this reduction in quality of life is what we say is the unmeasurable cost of a burden that individuals have to experience because they're addicted and it weighs on them and we try to estimate the monetary value of this. This doesn't represent the um, intangible burden placed on the caregivers, family members, other children, also affected by the addict. This is only the addict's own personal costs. The literature, like I said, has a range of 0.12 to 0.2. We take as a, our, our best estimate 0.14, which is on the conservative side of a reduction in quality of life, because this is where the most science supports the estimate. And we multiply this by the number of people in 2005 who are currently dependent on methamphetamine use. Our estimate for current dependence of methamphetamine use is based on a compilation of two numbers. One, the number of people who are currently in treatment for methamphetamine, which comes from the treatment episode data. The other part comes from the National Survey on Drug Use and Health which reports from the household population all people who meet diagnostic criteria for abuse and dependence. And there's a question about whether or not they've been in treatment in the past year or not. So anybody who reports being meeting DSM-4 criteria for abuse and dependence but not in treatment is captured as well. So we estimate about 300,000 people in 2005 meeting dependence criteria on methamphetamine and when we multiply that by the lost reduction in quality of life from those people experiencing the problems of addiction, we get approximately 44,000 quality adjusted life years lost. How do we monetize that? 
In the health literature, it's traditional, it's traditional to try to assign the dollar value per quality lost. Here, the literature ranges considerably, but most, most estimates in considering a health intervention is between $50,000 to $100,000. Those estimates depend on a value of life, a statistical value of life of $1 million, which was estimated over 30 years ago. So most economists, and I am an economist, believe that this is a very conservative estimate, and it's based only on the production value of life. As all, most of us know, there's a consumption value to life as well. We all like our vacation and our weekend time. There are, if you look at the literature that includes the value of this, the actual value of a statistical life is considerably higher. It ranges from $4 million to $9 million per statistical life. We take a very conservative estimate of 4.5, which is just taking the $4 million and inflating it to $2,005, and multiply that by the qualities lost to get our estimate of $12.6 billion lost quality-adjusted life, lost well-being because of being addicted. As I mentioned, that's the biggest component of this category, but there's also the premature death. In the case of methamphetamine, the number of lives lost due to overdose and other problems is, is not enormous when you compare it to, say, a heroin overdose is, but it's significantly bigger than marijuana, which has obviously gotten a lot more of the national attention. Approximately 900 deaths in 2005 from methamphetamine. We multiply those deaths by the statistical value of life to get our estimate of the lost you know, what it costs to society for people dying early. Now again, this estimate is an internal cost. This is not something that public has to pay, but if, you can, if these were working individuals who are paying taxes, the taxpayer lost a little bit because we aren't going to be getting their taxes if they're dead and not working. Crime and criminal justice costs is the second largest category, and this is very consistent with other illicit drugs. That our estimate of the costs here are about $4.2 billion and largely represent half of it comes from just the cost of prosecuting, um, uh, arresting, prosecuting, and putting in jail, in some cases, uh, people for possession and, and sale and traffic of, trafficking offenses for methamphetamine. The other half of this estimate comes from crimes committed by meth users under the influence of meth. And here, our research suggests that the, the only crimes captured in our best estimate are larceny, motor vehicle theft, and burglary. These are all income-producing crimes. Our analyses of the other crimes don't suggest a statistically significant effect between meth use and violent crime, although it has been suggested in the literature. So our best estimate here of $48.3 billion includes that possibility as well. And that's why we have such significant variation in our estimate, I'm sorry, of the um, criminal justice costs. Child endangerment, as I mentioned before, is a new area of costs that were considered in this study. And here we are, we are keenly aware of the effect that substance use can have, particularly meth, on child malnutrition and child endangerment. But there aren't very good data systems for trying to track this problem, and we were limited by this. We were able to identify um, children that are put into foster care and identify the fraction of these that we believe are attributed to methamphetamine. But this represents only one-third of all the child neglect cases out there. So this is clearly an underestimate of the effects of methamphetamine use on child endangerment. And here the costs are nearly one billion dollars, conservatively. In terms of lost productivity, here we capture information on the likelihood of being unemployed due to methamphetamine, the absenteeism due either to incarceration, which is a, cause, a, 
a function of our public health, our uh, public policies towards methamphetamine, but also absenteeism because you weren't feeling good because you had a crash after using methamphetamine. We use estimates of wages to kind of get, uh, monetize this. So a lot of these costs, these lost productivity costs, actually co represent the cost to employers because this is what the employer is having to pay you for sick time. This is what we're having to pay for while you sit in jail. These clearly represent taxpayer costs of lost productivity. That's a little over half a billion dollars. And then drug treatment. Drug treatment for methamphetamine is largely captured in the specialty sector. We don't have any good information on drug treatment that might be received in the primary care um, environment. Here our estimates represent those cases where methamphetamine is the primary drug of abuse. This excludes alcohol because methamphetamine is often used with alcohol, so our lower bound estimate takes alcohol out entirely. Our, middle, our best estimate includes it. Our higher estimates include any other illicit drug that also might be present and the reason for that visit. 90% of substance abuse treatment in the United States today is paid for by the public sector. So these are costs that are fully, largely carried on by the taxpayer. In the case of healthcare, here we are very conservative again, and not because we wanted to be, but because data just didn't allow us to do more. We looked at information from the National Inpatient Survey. These are people admitted into hospitals where the primary condition mentioned in the ICD medical record numbers is methamphetamine. We looked for problems that we knew, based on the scientific literature, were due to methamphetamine. Unfortunately, things like cardiac, cardiac arrest or uh, neurological problems, it's hard to tell definitively if those problems are due to methamphetamine. And we didn't want to assume they were. They're very expensive health problems. They have enormous costs, and we didn't want to inflate this unnecessarily. So what we did was we took the incremental cost of treating those cases when meth was present versus when meth wasn't present. When meth was present, it generally incurred a higher cost of treating these people in the hospital, and we captured that. In some cases, like psychosis, which was clearly induced by methamphetamine, we captured the full estimate of that health problem, and those are reflected in our health care costs. A big piece of this healthcare cost is also captured in what we call administration. And this doesn't just represent insurance administration, this also represents the dollars that we spend at the federal and state local level for prevention and administration of treatment services, and that's captured in this general healthcare. Um, in the case of meth production, we were surprised to some degree that our estimate was so low relative to other areas because this we thought was going to be our big highest moment. But the reality is we don't have good, we don't have a good idea of how much methamphetamine is produced in the United States in 2005 or any other year. We know clearly the number of labs that were seized and we could differentiate large labs from small labs and that's what we did. We took information we knew about labs that were seized, estimated using the literature what the cost of, of um, cleaning up a small lab versus a large lab and calculated that in our costs. We also included estimates of anybody who might have been injured in the process of, of that cleanup or in a fire caused by a meth explosion. Those costs are captured. We don't have an estimate of the contamination of water or ground soil due to methamphetamine production. And we only have information related to the labs that was seized. So we have no information on other labs. So clearly, this is a very small number. But it's also because we're lacking a lot of the information to get a more precise number. So in summary, 
the big things I'd really like you to take away from this study is basically that, in general, we think a conservative estimate of the cost of methamphetamine in the United States in 2005, before the large legislation took place, was approximately $23.4 billion, so $24 billion. There's a lot of uncertainty around that estimate, and some of that uncertainty is because of uncertainty in the numbers, uh, the actual number of people who died or the actual number of lab seizures. And then some of the uncertainty is because we don't know how much of that incident caused other problems, the healthcare costs. So the uncertainty captures both in our estimate. And it would be really valuable for future research to continue so we can narrow that range, because that range we admit is very, very large. The burden of this problem the biggest cost component is premature death and mortality, which represent costs to the individual, not costs to the taxpayer that we capture. However, these are still really important because it's likely that a death of a parent is going to affect a child. That we don't capture in our estimate. Moreover, when you add criminal justice in, which was a significant number, $4.6 billion, together those represent 88% of our costs. These the biggest burden of methamphetamine is on the individual and then on our criminal justice system. That's not surprising. Now, some of the criminal justice costs were due to our policy of incarcerating sales and possession, but over half of it was due to property crime committed while under the influence of methamphetamine. In addition, like I said, it's important to consider which of these costs are borne by the individual versus the taxpayer. Child welfare costs, purely borne by the taxpayer. That's our foster care system, picking up the pieces. Labor productivity costs, largely incurred by the employers. We also have drug treatment costs, largely, that's largely incurred by the uh, state and federal government. And finally, in the case of health care, where we have insurance being shared, again, a significant fraction being pay paid for by the taxpayer. So this is a problem that impacts the taxpayer, whether or not the taxpayer knows somebody who uses methamphetamine or not. But it's not clear how much, and because we aren't sure about these numbers. What we do know from this study is that national estimates of the magnitude of this problem are insufficient for understanding the overall burden. If our best estimate is more conservative, and we actually believe it is, and our high estimate is actually closer to the truth, that suggests that the cost of methamphetamine abuse is greater than the cost of childhood obesity, which has obviously made a significant uh, bang in attention from, from our nation. Methamphetamine to our nation might be that significant. There's reasons to consider the regional data systems and what they're telling us, and we should work to improve the national data systems so that we have a better picture, more complete picture of what this drug can do. Thank you very much. This concludes the recorded portion of the presentation, and now we'd like to open it to the audience for questions and answers. This presentation is provided as a public service by the RAND Corporation. Visit www.rand.org to learn more about these issues and to explore RAND's free online library of more than 10,000 policy reports and commentaries.